Hello, friend. Welcome to the Happy Family Club. We're delighted to have you join us. Our mission is to help you have a happier, stronger family. We do that by bringing you the world's greatest experts in family, marriage, parenting, and relationships. We interview them to discover their secrets, their strategies, their techniques, and bring them to you so that you can cherry pick exactly what you need right now to have more success and more joy in your family. And if you enjoy this interview, we encourage you to share it with your friends and your family and come on to the happyfamilyclub.com and see if you can find more information that's going to help you and your family be happier. Again, thanks so much for joining us. Enjoy the interview. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Happy Family Club podcast. We are so excited to have you here today. Margie and I have been looking forward to this interview for quite some time because there's a lot of things that parents deal with that are challenging and difficult, and being able to simplify those and smooth that out is exactly what our guest does best. So <laughs> we're excited to have you here. It's, and you know, it was by way of an official introduction, Margie will give you an official introduction, but Dr. Cheryl Ziegler is here and we're just so excited to have you. So thank you very much for being with us today. We appreciate it. Yes, yes. thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you, Cheryl. We're so happy you're here. And just so everybody knows, Cheryl has worked to create this community for parents to feel included and with their teens and help them work through amazing things in their life. She's the author of this great book. It's called Mommy Burnout. <laughs> By the way, your 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 10 your 10 signs of mommy burnout had me in stitches. That was awesome. So, <laughs> so great. And yeah. it was it was like serious like if you pull up your house and you feel dread and anxiety like Ooh, yeah. yeah, and other, and other things. You so got anyway. mommy burnout. Yeah. <laughs> but she's been all over um, the media, appearing in over 100 news shows, which is amazing. And yeah. yeah, she's been an instructor, amazing online courses. She's got her book. She's got a website. We'll, we'll tell you a little bit about that at the end of the interview. But we're really excited for all the great influence that she's having. Um, she's got the Child and Family Therapy Center, right? That you got started in 04, which is amazing. She's a doctorate in psychology, licensed professional counselor. We could go on and on we about really Cheryl. Could. It's just yeah. incredible. Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. And I, it's not really just popped in my mind, but I remember, you know, in terms of your media contributions, I seem to remember that you really have a specialty in taking really challenging things that are happening in the media. And then talking about how to talk with your children about that. Like mm -hmm. I saw a little blurb that you had about how do we address, you know, what's going on over in the Middle East right now? And th that's hard. And I saw some of the school shootings you addressed so beautifully. And like, how do you help children through that? So anyway, I, I uh, it's not really the maybe that'll come up. But I just wanted our listeners to know, like, you are so adept at addressing things that a lot of people kind of shy away from or just are clueless about how to handle. And so anyway, we're excited to have you. That's why I've been looking forward to this interview. So thank you. <laughs> okay. Um, I really want to dig into your insights onto the question that we love to ask, which is, you know, what's the key principle when applied will help, you know, inspire greater family happiness. But before we go there, can you tell us a little bit about your background? Because your list of accomplishments, your education, your contribution to the world is long. And just a lot of people don't put that much time and effort into getting there. And we just wonder what your backstory is for doing all of that. There's got to oh. be a reason. So let's hear it. <laughs> oh, yes. We, we all have a story, right? And yeah, so um, thank you for the opportunity to share my story. And um, so let's see, where do I start? So I guess I'll start by saying that I am the child of a teenage immigrant. My mom mm -hmm. immigrated here when she was 12, got pregnant with me when she was 17, and had me um, when she was just a couple weeks before she was 18. So I had a teen mom, she was single. We um, lived in New York City. And, um, you know, truly for the first seven years of my life, I, it, a lot of really interesting things. I was raised on, you know, government assistance, welfare, food stamps. Uh, I never went to preschool. I 
um, really just spent a lot of time with family. Spanish was my first language, mm -hmm. although I've totally lost it. So I'll get to that point. That <laughs> but, um, you know, I think by all intents and purposes, if you look at me on, on paper, I had a lot of early childhood adversity, mm -hmm. but this is the big, but that's very relatable to your platform. The one savior that I had was family. And I didn't know when you're a child, you don't, you don't know that you have money. You don't have money. I mean, you, you, those things don't matter. Right. But what I had was this incredible extended family around me that loved on me, watched me. I never had like a babysitter. I just was always with family. I, and I had one particular aunt who was also my godmother who just always said to me unequivocally, like she said it in a way that I really believed her, um, you're going to do great things. You're going to do great things. And she said it to me so much that I believed it. I actually truly <laughs> grew up like, well, she says I'm going to do great things. So yeah. I'm going to do great mm -hmm. things. So, so, you know, I, I will say while those first seven years of my life looked, you know, I was being raised obviously by a young mother and those kind of things. I just had so much love around me. And so I didn't have formal education around me. We didn't have a lot of things, but I had love. Yeah. And I know now, I mean, it took a long time into being an adult to understanding and appreciating that because I only really even maybe analyze it so much because people would ask me, but how, how did you persevere through so much adversity and at first I just didn't have an answer. A lot of times I'd say, um, I think I was just blessed. I think this was just, this is my story. This was what right. the way it was supposed to be, which right. I still do feel that way. But I also know that there are elements that created this opportunity. So, right. um, you know, those were the first seven years. And then I moved out of New York city and, um, an hour North of New York city and had a really different experience where, I was not surrounded by lots of family that was taken away from me. My culture was taken away. My language was taken away. And so from, you know, for, for those years, it was an adjustment. And I, I think that the, the beautiful second part of my story is that while um, I felt like my family like had gotten taken away from me and I wasn't surrounded by that same level of love and unconditional positive regard, my friends' families took me in. So wow. then my friends' families became like surrogates. And just there are things that they said and did that, again, I look back now and I say, I, I did get the opportunity to tell one of, the, one of my best friends growing up, her mother, I did get to tell her, I want you to know how much it means and meant to me the things that you would say to me. Again, very positive. You're beautiful. You're smart. And so that was a game changer too. So you know, my story is really all over, a um, lot of different experiences, a lot of adversity, but also a lot of family love. And that is key. Community and family and love is key to at least my story, but I also believe the human condition. Yeah. So I have a, I have a follow-up question on that. It's an awesome story. And I want, I want to hear a little bit more on that. But, you know, we live, at least in my perspective, we live in, in a very polarized world. Maybe other people don't feel that way, but I think that there's a lot of polarization out there. And and, and there's a lot of families um, that struggle, and I think there's a lot of parents and, and adults that struggle with just seeing the dark side of things, right? And, um, and so being able to give that kind of nurturing and love and positive feedback to their children or to their, you know, friends that come over or whatnot, sometimes can be hard. I wonder... Again, this is maybe a little on a tangent, but I, the question comes to my mind. What would be your insight on how parents can sort of shift that lens so they can provide that nurturing and, and what would they need to do in order to do that? Yeah. So that nurturing to their own children or other people's children. Exactly. Both. <laughs> so both. Both. Yeah. I was like, I mean, it's like, like Margie and I are in a situation where we have our 11 children. Mm -hmm. But our 11 children, that has a multiplicity of friends, friends. that come around, <laughs> right? And there's all the associations. And so we find ourselves regularly in a situation where we feel like we're not only parenting our children, but these other children come into our lives that have different family experiences. And mm -hmm. we're like, oh, you know, we want to, you know, nurture and love on them. So I think that 
I, I think that it kind of, I'd love to hear your insights on both of those questions. Oh yeah. Well, I love that. I mean, so yes, with, with your 11 children, you have, you have a village that comes in and out of your, your sphere. And one of the things that I would say is just by showing one another love, just by cooperating in the kitchen or working on a project together or creating a meal that in and of itself even if you never said a word to any of those other kids and your own they're seeing they're they're witnessing love mm -hmm. um communication teamwork collaboration laughter maybe sometimes some conflict and hopefully maybe some of the resolution like oh yeah we can agree on we can disagree on something yeah. um and this is the way we resolve our disagreements, which could look really different from the way other people, you know, resolve or address their disagreements. So it starts as just modeling. Yeah. Modeling is so important. You're modeling family and family time and what, maybe what meals look like, whatever meals look like in your house. I assure you look very different in many other people's houses. <laughs> You're you are right. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm very sure of that. So I think just for the two of you in terms of modeling, and then when it comes down to it, let's just say this is how what I believe, which um, like you said, maybe not everybody even thinks of it this way, but I love the idea that we are in community and that we can whatever it is, talk to other people's kids at times, reprimand other people's kids. I don't mean harshly, but I mean saying oh, yeah. something like, you know, in our house, we don't speak that way or right. in our house we share, right? Yeah. Like that's what I mean by reprimand. Yeah, yeah. And not everybody's like that. You know, that's something that I think in society people are like, well, what, did you say something to my kid? Yes, I did. <laughs> like, we, and say something to mine. If exactly. my kid is not doing something, feel free to tell them. Yeah. I don't have a problem with that, right? I mean, and I think we've gotten away from that. And we are so much worse off for that. And that was very much a part of mommy burnout, which is we lead to stress and burnout when we think we are doing this on our own, yeah. when we don't ask for help, when we don't accept that, yeah, feed my child or or guide them in some way or let them know what's right from wrong. And if they come home and they tell me and and I see it differently, then that's my job as a parent to say, oh, well, that's the way they think about it. Here's the way I think about it, right? Yeah. Communicate to them. So I just see so much that the two of you especially have an opportunity to do just by being role models, but also hopefully taking it a step further and just living your values in front of other people yeah. is one of the best things I think that you can do. Just live your values truthfully in integrity um, you know, it's one thing to say, Hey, these are our values. And it's another thing to truly live them. And I think kids can perceive when people are living true to their values, they're, they're walking their talk. Yeah. And I think that's really key. So yeah, the it, yeah, yeah. totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Children are astonishingly good at, you know, filtering <laughs> out like fluff and lies and, you know, fake and uh -huh. wow, they, they, they can get to the heart of the matter really quick. <laughs> They sure they can articulate it. They, they, they live they into it. it. Yeah, they yeah. feel it. So yes. And that's what I was going to say. Starting at young ages, the reason why they're so perceptive is because they don't have advanced, advanced verbal skills. And yeah. so they can't talk their way through things or they're not doing mental gymnastics in their head about, well, maybe they did this because of, nope, they just see it for what it is <laughs> and they experience it in their bodies. They know, oh, when I come over to your house, I feel good. I can't tell you why. I can tell you a good story. The, um, a couple of weeks ago, I saw a new client, a new little girl. She's eight and she was, I have a swing room in my office and she was moving and she's swinging. And that's the intention of this swing room is just to allow kids to move. Yeah. And she said to me about maybe 40 minutes in, I just feel so good here. Mm -hmm. I don't even know why though. Yeah. <laughs> do I feel so good here. And so I like would say a couple things here and there and I could tell like I it wasn't resonating. I said, "Well, maybe it just feels good to to get to talk and then I'm just listening." And um yeah. and she was like, "Hmm, I think it's more than that." And then she just kept moving <laughs> and, and moving and we never got to like the answer at the end, but because she's 8, she could not articulate exactly why she felt so good being there, but she felt it and she just shared it spontaneously. 
And that is the way kids are. And I'm sure there were many multiple things, right? Could have been the way I looked at her, the way I smiled at her, um, the way she was moving probably felt good. She didn't have to sit still in a seat. Yeah. Right. And uh, and be stressed that like I'm supposed to just sit in this chair and answer questions, you know, like it was a kid friendly space. There are probably multiple reasons, but I love remembering that that the younger the child is, the more perceptive in truth they actually are. Yes. Mm. Wow. I love that. That's amazing. insight. I'm so glad I asked that question. So um, you're now officially invited to have dinner at our place and you can play on the tree swing in the back as much as you want. <laughs> I will. I will. I always tell people, if you offer me something, I, I will take you up on it. Wait, it. Or you're, you yeah, next time, do you still have family in New York? Yes. Yeah. Right. Well, we're halfway in between Denver and New York. We're in Arkansas. So come on over. So, okay. Well, thank you. Um, so can you pick up on your story just a little bit more because you moved, you know, an hour north, things all changed. And then, you know, at some point you made decisions about where you were going to go into school and, you know, this amazing, you know, counseling that you do. So kind of give us a little bit of insight on that. And then we better get to my one core question here. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So um, what happened was I remember I got a journal for my 13th birthday. It was a purple journal that I still have. And on the front cover, you know, when it had a lock on it and you yeah. open up and it's like, you know, name, age, what do you want to be when you grow up? And wow. I wrote, I want to be a psychologist. I want to be a psycho. I want to be a psychologist. I want to be the Barbara Walters of psychology. That's Barbara, what I said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Barbara Walters. I Walter. want to be the Barbara Walters. <laughs> like, who knows that at 13? I have no idea. So I wrote psychologist. I, it was not even spelled correctly. Um, and so when I went into high school and I met, so that was, um, I was probably in eighth grade then when okay. I knew that I guess like I knew that I wanted to help people listen to people. Um, and then when I went into high school and you have your meeting with your guidance counselor, he said, well, do you know like what you want to do? I said, yes, I want to be a psychologist. And he said, oh, you're going to have to go to school for a long time. I said, okay, how long? And he said, 10 years. And I said, okay, so where do I start? Yeah. It was just <laughs> like, great, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. And I literally did it. I have three psychology degrees. Um, I never skipped a beat. I did everything really pretty fast. I knew this is just what I always wow. wanted to do. Um, and I think that probably comes from having had so many different experiences and going through many things in my life, I think I just had this sense like people would just say to me, young, like middle school, high school, like you're just so easy to talk to. And I think because I didn't judge anybody. I'm just not here. It's not my place to judge. Right. And I think that's something that is so rare today to have a listening ear that you feel is really not judgmental, that yeah. isn't going to shame you or tell you what to do, but they're just really there to listen. I think that's probably the way I was when I was younger and that just continued. So that's how I got to be a psychologist. And it's kind of great. It's like something, it's not working with my own kids, but if I, they'll like, my daughter will say, Oh, I would be a psychologist, but I don't want to go to school that long. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm like, Oh, but you do like, you know, you do four years and she's like four years. And I'm like, yeah. And then, and then, you know, I went into a master's, but then I worked for two years. So I try to tell her like, you know, and then you can take some small breaks. But yeah, for me and my personality, that just worked. Just tell me what to do and I'll just do it. I love Amazing. it. Amazing. Awesome. And I love the fact that you had this sense and then you just carried through with it. You know, and I think that there's an enormous amount of power in, in that focus. And I think there's also enormous amount of power in looking at the circumstances you grew up in and seeing the value. I think that there is a lot of people that um, might look at it and go, oh my goodness, like I had this terrible childhood and that's why I'm so messed up is because I blew up in the Bronx and I didn't have any support and then I moved out of town and then I didn't have any more support and I had on welfare, you know, and, and so the victim mentality gets right. developed. Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, I think that it's really powerful because sometimes we take that victim mentality and we impose it on our children and we create this culture that just multi-generational and you, opted out of that. And I love the fact that it's just a change in the story. It's the exact same circumstances that so many other people had in your situation. And you had this, you know, you've had this beautiful gift or decision to 
change that around and say like, oh, actually it was really powerful. I had this gift of love for my family and I did this gift of love for my friend's parents. And, you know, and you see this wonderful thing and you decided to use that for people's good. So, you know, as parents, we, um, we get to define the narrative of our house really and what that story looks like to us and to our children. And, and I really want everyone listening to this to hear that, like, this isn't a fluff thing. It's not like, you know, we don't get to decide, um, you, you know, I can't, I can't drop something and pretend like gravity doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. um, so we don't get to decide that, but we do get to decide the narrative of how we approach life and how we see things and how we feel about things. And teaching that to our children is really powerful. It's just incredibly powerful as a, as example in your life, <laughs> Cheryl. So it, it is, I, I appreciate that what you're saying and, I do want to say for anyone listening, so it doesn't feel like fluff. I didn't, I don't know that I had this um, ability to see the positive until I was probably in my late twenties, Yeah, you know, and I don't know that I ever was also either like victim. Yeah, I would, yeah. I would, I wasn't that, I don't know that I, I think I saw some of the gifts. I guess I will say that. I think I, I think I knew I would, I could relate to anybody. Um, no. I went from, I did go from poverty. Then, then my mom married a New York City police officer. So then I went to like, you know, struggling to get by, but middle, sort of lower, maybe middle class. Yeah. Um, I went from being an only child to the youngest of six, <laughs> <laughs> right? With a step family, a blended wow. family. And then another divorce. Then another, then my only, my only half brother was born when I was 12. Then there was another marriage, mm. right? So been through a lot and um as a child yeah during it it was hard sometimes you know during yeah. it. um and i think that once i just had some space from it and once i was in a different environment and i was studying just human behavior i am um, you're right i not only did i not have a victim mentality but when i still to this day hear somebody who's 40 50 years old say well let's just it's because of the way i was raised i'm like no, you are in control of yeah. your narrative. You yeah. have agency over yourself. You might have to work at that, but this is a mindset. You can wake up every morning and see everything that's gone wrong, or yeah. you can wake up every morning and look for what's going right. That is a choice. And yeah. I do believe that that is a choice. I also think it's it's almost like a muscle. You have to practice it. Practice if it, it doesn't come naturally, you, but practice. Practice, I promise, will get you there. Yeah. Um, and so... I do feel like, again, it was part gift and it was also just part also changing my environment and being intellectually stimulated and challenged in a way that really just, it just never occurred to me at all to be like, woe is me or anything like that. It was just like, and then once I became older in my maybe mid to late twenties, I started to realize, oh, this is a a power this is a power like i have been through a lot of adversity and that will help me in life and i just saw it that way so that i had a couple of years of you know some shame and not wanting people to know my story and yep. <laughs> all of that you know even just being in new york and saying oh, i was i was born in harlem i was raised in washington <laughs> heights and i spent most of my time in the south bronx yeah, you know, I was like, There's no I with any of those things, right? <laughs> right. I just skipped over that part and was just like, here I am, you know, yeah. like living more in suburbia. So there it's been an evolution. It was an evolution in like my 20s to mid-30s of really, I think, fully revealing myself. Yes. Um, and so that was a process. So I do want people listening to know it's not like it was, I was always this open and self-actualized, but now I realize now this is the thing I can work with anybody. And I mean, anybody, because every single one of us has a story. Oh, we all have a story of loss. There's some loss. There's some tragedy. There's some trauma. There's, there's, there isn't anybody who's going to get through life without some of that. And some right. people have it more than others. And I realize now that once you have gone through something, if you work through it, you actually have better outcomes. Yes. You are more resilient. So I always say to people who they're like, I want my kid to have more grit. And I, you got to go through tough things to get grit. <laughs> yep. You can't get gritty without having some challenge. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. And what I love about that is that you did 
so yeah, you know, you weren't always this way, but you did make it through. You did evolve. You did progress. And again, what a message of hope, because like you said, we all can start on that. We can all exercise that muscle and we can all move forward. So it's it's really cool. And your your story reminds me, um, I don't know how familiar you are with the author C.S. Lewis, but he wrote a book called The Great Divorce. And and there's a there's a little <laughs> vignette in that book where they're talking about heaven and hell and, and religious things, and whatnot. But the principle I love is, is that he said, you know, if no matter what your past story was, when you immediately begin looking towards what he calls the high mountains or heaven, then everything that's ever happened to you before will become a piece of heaven. <laughs> and he says, and if you decide to be miserable and frustrated in the victim, then everything that's ever happened to you before will actually be a piece of hell. And, and, and it's a very powerful little thing there. And so that reminds me of you, it's like, you did go through hard times, but looking back as you've refocus that lens all of it became sort of a piece of your heaven or a piece of your story right now that's so productive so anyway thank you for sharing that totally not where i was planning on going with this interview but that was like so powerful because we do all face the challenges and the trauma and the difficulties nobody gets out of life uh, out of here alive right we're all going to go through the struggles so anyway I, but it's I, how we respond to it yeah that I appreciate really it. makes a difference okay so um Ask her the question. Yeah, let me ask you the question. <laughs> <laughs> Marjorie's like, can you get to this already? Yeah, like, <laughs> it's fine. So, so I would love to hear your insights on what is a key principle that, you know, when we apply it and live it can really impact our family happiness. So what's your answer to that question? Oh, do, does anybody ever cheat and give like three answers? Yes, you can cheat. Yes. Over deliver for us, show. We're, we're ready for it. Go. I do want to over deliver. If that's a positive reframe of like, I can't focus on one. I mean, <laughs> okay, I'll do it. I'll do macro and then a micro. How about that? Yes. There you there's, go. there's a like the macro me is you need a family needs to be clear on their values. Hmm. And what I say about that is if I give you a list, which I do have in my office, let's say of 50 values, they're all sound great. Yeah. Loving, generous, kindness, patience. You're just like, well, all of these things. And I say, sure, there's 50 things on here, but we cannot focus on and prioritize 50 things. Right. Right. So that gets us spread thin. That means you're going to be doing just a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. If you think I'm going to be all of those wonderful traits. So I really encourage families to do almost like a family mission statement, mm. the way a company has one. And you focus three to five, I, five is max. Three to me is probably ideal, five is max. And those are your guiding principles. So when you have a 16 year old that says they want to stay out late past their curfew, they ask to extend it. If you're having a hard time making that decision, you go back to your family value statement and you say, where does this fall within this, mm. right? Like, what would my five core values, where would it lead me? Would it maybe being flexible is one of them. Like we will be um, flexible and creative, right? And you go, you know, we're going to say, yes, they can stay out an hour later tonight because we're really focusing on flexibility, you know, um, but for an example. Hey there, it's Margie. We hope you're enjoying this podcast. Yeah, I hope you know that you can go to thehappyfamilyclub.com and see many other interviews and get a whole bunch of other resources, materials, free things, paid things, all kinds of stuff. There's an entire membership there where you get exclusive access to all of our best tools and resources. Our mission is to bring you the world's best resources and insights from the world's best experts so that you can have a happier family and have more joy. So go check it out, thehappyfamilyclub.com. Now let's get back to the interview. Or you have an eight-year-old that says they want um, a second dessert. And you go in your, you know, struggling, maybe they're whining, or they're making a scene, you don't know what to do. And so you go back to your family value statement and you say, okay, we talked about fairness is really important to us. And there's not enough dessert to give everybody who may want second seconds. So actually, even though we're struggling a little bit, our family values say fairness is 
and equity is really important to us. So we're going to say, we're going to say no to that. Yeah. Right. So it's like your guiding light, it anchors you. And those, those two examples are so, they're so different from each other, but obviously the two of, you know, on a daily basis, I mean, with 11 kids, you're probably making over a thousand decisions a day. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right. And they're little like, Oh, I forgot my lunch. Can you bring it to school? Um, Oh, tomorrow I have a project. I didn't tell you, can you go get me clay? Can you, you know, whatever it is, so all, you, the stuff. Mm -hmm. all the things and they're from little things to, I forgot something. Will you bring it still? Some parents will sit and go, I don't know. Is this a good time to teach them a lesson? Like right. we tell them all the time, get organized. Right. And why, why will I drop it off for Janie, but I won't drop it off for Jack. Right. Thank and you. that's another thing, right? I think it's really important that families understand that we are not raising our kids the same exact way. They're individual human beings, right? So you can have your guiding principles, your three to five values that really anchor you. Of course, underneath that, you can have lots of other things. But I know that I've shared some of our top values with people, and they are different from my very best friends, yeah. even though we're best friends, right? And so, and that just means it guides me. That's all. It just, it guides me. So I think that's one thing that's really important. And then that's the macro. And on the micro level, I think how to influence those values into your actual life requires presence. Mm. And what I see are really busy, distracted, stressed families. Yeah. Right? Where presence seems like a luxury. Like, mm -hmm. oh, presence, really? Do you cook and clean and work and blah, 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 blah. and it's like yeah and even through all the things we have to do how can we find a way to be present and engaged I didn't say all day long I didn't say for 7 hours a day but that when you are interacting with your children with your family they really have your undivided attention your eyes and your body say I am fully committed to talking to you about this right now yeah. And if I can't, I am modeling for you that I say, you know, this sounds like this is really important or it sounds like you really need help with something. And right now I'm not able to do that in an hour or tonight. I will be able to do that so that you're setting your own boundary that when I interact, when my kid really, they need my attention, my focus, we need to have a conversation. I am doing just that. I'm not cooking and on my iPad or my phone and trying to get emails out and doing all these other things. That's what I see. I just see very busy, stressed families. And I think we're missing opportunities for connection. Wow. Okay. So the macro piece is having those core values that give us guiding. And then the micro is being able to be hundred percent present so that we don't. And I, and I think part of it is, is that these, these things that come up in our family life all the time, it's like these little micro crossroads that are happening all the time. Every day. Decisions that the children are making, the interaction that we have with each other. It's just, it's this constant nonstop thing of interaction decisions. And like you said, thousands of you know stuff every day. And then being able to focus and be present. So I love that, Cheryl. It's, that is so very helpful. Can, can we dive into a couple of these a little bit more? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm wondering about, you know, when you look at you, you've got this list of 50 values. Um, how do, how do we guide parents through selecting, you know, down to the, even the optimal three, right? Mm -hmm. And, and what's the, what's the mental and emotional struggle that parents go through that you see getting down to from, you know, 50 down to three <laughs> and how do you guide them through that? Yes, it is a whole process. And I will tell you that some people, um, some people I know have gone to Pinterest. There's like, there's literally, you know, little things where people are like value family values. And they're, they're like, if they don't do it in the office with me, or sometimes they come and they go, we, we started it. We started it. Look, we did our homework. Right? <laughs> and so it is. So what I say to them is don't cross anything off because I would say of the 50 values, there's almost nobody that would say, oh yeah, um, generosity, not interested. I don't want you know? that one. <laughs> no generosity, cross it off. So maybe unlike how you would do it in a company, you probably yeah. do start, you start crossing off and erasing things because again, you're trying to whittle down to what is our mission statement. Yes. And so I say to them, instead of crossing off, just circle. So mm -hmm. first start with the things that just 
pop, just, they just pop out at you. They resonate most with you. Mm -hmm. So then they'll, you know, they'll circle some. And I'll say that on average, people will circle probably between 10 to 15. Mm. Like they're pretty good at getting to 10 to 15. And wow. then they, and then, but I, like at, at 10, they don't want to get any of them off anymore. <laughs> like, <they're>, you know. <laughs> so, like, do I have to get rid of kindness or charity or love? Like which yes. one do I get, which one do I dump here? Right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's, okay. It really, it like stretches your brain. So then, you know, I engage in exercises with them around, okay, kindness. Um, is that important to you? If you were going to say one last thing to your kid as they're getting out of the car, mm. would you say, be kind to somebody today? Yeah. Or would you say, be inclusive to someone today? Yeah. Or would you say, be thoughtful around something today, right? Like, and so they're yeah. like, so then if I give them those choices, be kind, be thoughtful, be inclusive, pick one. Yeah. Right. Because inherently, if you're being inclusive, they'll start to play games. They'll be like, okay, well, I guess if I say inclusive, then that is kind. So that kind of gets two of those together. Yeah. Right. right. So then yeah. they'll, they can circle that. So then you just basically, I think, just really start asking yourself the question. If there was one thing um, that I felt was most important today between two. Right. And that could be like love or generosity. Oh, gosh, I don't know. I really like being generous. Okay, well, how do you show love? Yeah. Well, I show love by I do things or I give things. Okay, so maybe love. Is love too broad? Do you feel you need to, you know? And so those are kind of questions. It's, this is subjective. There's no right or wrong. Yes. It's just truly. And I also say we go through ages and stages and reasons and seasons. That's one of my quotes. Oh, <laughs> um, <laughs> and I say that a lot about just relationships and that could mean child friendships. That can mean husband and wife. That can mean also child to parent, right? Maybe the values that you pushed really, really hard between the ages of five and eight, um, there's still values to you, but maybe now that they're teenagers, you feel like it's mm -hmm. not that our values as a family have changed how they show up might like responsibility, right? Yeah. At five years old, sure, we want our kids to be responsible, but it feels maybe less consequential than it does at 15 years old, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So in our, so you might reframe a sentence in your mission statement to say, in our family, we lead with our heart and we make responsible choices, right? It's just an example. Because you might say, our values are our values, but their expression of them has shifted a little bit because we've been through a terminal illness or we, our kids are older or we've experienced a horrendous loss. And we realize that we want to value quality time more than we had been in the past. We were very focused on character traits, but now we really want to focus on the way that we spend time together. Yeah. Right. So it's not like you change as a person, you evolve with your values and how they're expressed. But it's amazing to have the anchor of doing that when you have a very young family, if possible. It's yeah. never too late. But when they're young, because then you know those are like the young traits are like the character building traits. Right. This is to the core who I want you to be. And as they get older, it starts to be like, okay, we've got the core down. How do we express that? Yes. Mm -hmm. Love it. So it is great. And I, I want to go back to your one example, your, your two examples. One was the, yeah, let them stay out. One was the, uh, nope, sorry, you don't get any, you know, the second helping off the table, um, literally, huh? Um, so, um, but, but what you're really talking about there is not only defining those, which by the way, thank you for sharing the insights on defining those, because that what you just walked us through is so valuable I, I mean i've gone through lots of exercises with mission statements and values and mm -hmm. it was just beautiful how you did that so thank you um but then but then keeping that in the forefront of your mind and and applying it whether whether that means applying it um you know where you're allowing something or applying it where you're not allowing something and what, what's been your experience and how to help parents you know keep that present and not just you know not have it be an exercise we did one afternoon and then it was like it's in a book I somewhere. think we did that like a few years ago you know like <laughs> what was that all about so yes well i'm laughing because the families that i've worked with i know they'll be like i know i know i know we have to refer back to the family value statement <laughs> um 
but I, I actually encourage people to, which is funny. I moved and I don't have mine up right now. I just realized I don't have mine up. Um, but have it up, whether that's put it on a refrigerator, frame it and put it somewhere central in your house, make it a part of your daily life. You know, like I, I love how in the last, it feels like, I don't know, the last decade or so, it's become very popular, you know, maybe to go to like Hobby Lobby or other places where they have these frames and they have sayings on them, yeah, right? Yeah, in yeah. this house and in this family, we, and I love that because I know growing up, I never saw anything like that. Not only just not in my house, but anybody's. I didn't ever yeah. see words of affirmation mm -hmm. up. Around, yeah. Um, and there is something about that. And truly when you step into someone's space or you come back home after a long day at school, and you see whatever it is, whether that's faith, whether that's laughter, whether that's hugs and snuggles, unconsciously, it does impact you. You kind of go, oh, okay, in this family, this is a playful family. They like to play, right? Mm -hmm. Or in this family, they um, are very affectionate. They like to really show love through affection. You can do that, not just through your words, but through what's in your house, through the way that you greet people at the door the way that you, um, you know, comment about something that you notice. There are many ways to show your values besides just saying them. Yeah. Um, or even just, you know, having words on the wall. I love having though words or symbols on the wall, you know? Right. Um, and I know in our house, we definitely have symbols and you don't, you take it for granted. Let's say if you have a heart or you have a cross or you have, you know, star David, whatever it might be, you right. have a symbol. Yeah. You you take for granted what that means, but every day that you see that, it does actually shift you. There's a shift. Yeah. A little shift right there. Oh, I saw it. Oh, yeah. And it could be, oh, you made me this. Like my kids could come into my office and see that I display, you know, the little pieces of arts and the trinkets that they make for me. Right. <laughs> I I value you. That's what this yeah. says. I value this. Yes. This piece matters to me. You matter to me. Mm -hmm. And so just remembering that as well, the psychology of hanging up kids' pictures, hanging up their artwork, having symbols that represent your values are other ways to instill what is important, what guides us. Uh, I love that. This constant so reminder and these symbols of things that are, you know, stay in front of us. It's so beautiful. I, I, I'm suddenly remembering, I, Marge and I once visited a guy who's, extremely successful has a holding company and you know businesses all over the world and and we sat down to dinner and he had these uh placemats, placemats mm -hmm. dinner placemats and i looked at him and he and he had the family mission statement and some family values and stuff so it's like he said oh yeah every time we sit down to dinner we're you know we see the reminder of what's important to our family and and i had forgotten about that until you just said that like oh. I'm going to take that and I'm going to spread that. I, I'm i going to do it for myself too. Maybe at Thanksgiving even. I love Thanksgiving, that. Have a little right. I'll see if I can find them. Um, I'm going to ask him. I'm going to call him and ask him where he got those produced because it, yeah. it was it was, it was really laminated cool. so that it wouldn't get messy on the, with the food. Yeah, because, you know, we, we have a philosophy that you always have two gallons of milk on the table, one to spill and one to drink. So, you know, it's like... <laughs> <laughs> See, let me tell you something about that. Let me give you direct immediate feedback about that. If I come to your house and have dinner with you in Arkansas and I see those two gallons of milk, you know what that means to me as your guest? It means you accept mistakes. Yeah. You understand that life is messy. You yeah. are forgiving of accidents. Right. There's True. no, right. And, and truly, but it's a simple two gallons of milk, one to spill and one to drink says to me, I can relax. They don't have to be perfect here. <laughs> yeah. I love this. Love you. How are you? So let's talk for just a minute about the, the micro things, because you talked about this, you know, being present. Mm -hmm. I, I was reminded of, I don't know, a couple of years ago, Margie and I were on one of our honeymoon trips. <clears throat> we go off together all the time. And uh, so we're sitting in the airport, we're at the restaurant and, and uh, the booth across from us is this, beautiful family i mean just these two little toehead girls that were just cute as a button and mom and dad were both on their phones and just locked into this you know whatever was on that phone social media or text whatever it was and and at first the girls sat there and just were kind of quiet and then it was like 
you could tell they wanted a little attention from mom and dad. And so pretty soon they are all over. They're crawling on the table. They're throwing things. And shockingly, I mean, mind-blowingly, and, and I'm not judging them because I have no idea what was going on in their life or where they're at, but mom and dad hardly flinched until it reached a boiling point, and then dad freaked out, and then the girls ended up crying in tears, right? And Margie and I are watching this as parents of 11 children being like, and I was all, I, I just was like, just give them some attention. Like, <laughs> I wanted to come out of my skin of these people. But but I, I'm reminded that we have so many distractions. Like, what did you say? You said it's so cool. We're distracted, we're busy, and we're stressed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so how do we, how do we turn that around and become present and engaged? What have you seen is helpful? And, and what are some of the barriers that we face in our world today? Like you, you deal with so many parents, like what are some of the barriers that a lot of parents face in doing that? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is really almost the core, one of, one of the core features of when, when I wrote mommy burnout, I mean, really what I was looking to do was to understand how chronic stress Mm -hmm. was showing up in women's lives. Why did I consistently see the same pattern and the same kind of words they were using to describe their lives? And so I really researched. I researched the history of motherhood. Are we the most stressed mothers there ever were? Were mothers before us stressed? Um, how did they deal with it? I was very, very interested and curious. And so one of the things that I, that the research really, um, steered me toward, and I really try to share this with everybody, is this notion of being busy. Mm. When we have a lot of choices and when we are multitasking, right? Multitasking actually is ineffective and it's not the right use of the brain. The brain actually is not really set up to, to multitask the way that we think. We're very proud of ourselves when we can, right? And I'm sure like, for you, Marjorie, of course, you, I'm sure, can be a master at multitasking, <laughs> right? And and I, what I say to people is it's a tool in your back pocket. When I need to multitask, sure, I can multitask just like any other mom. I whip it out and I can do all the things at once. But I use it like in case of emergency kind of thing. <laughs> Love right? But in my general way of being, I try to focus on monotasking, which is the way that the brain is designed to work at its optimal um, way and also the way that relationships are formed. When I am doing X, I'm doing X. I'm not doing X, Y, and Z mm -hmm. because then I skimp out on Y and Z. Something's not going to go well. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to be short. I'm going to be irritable. I'm going to be very put off if you distract me, right? Because I'm doing 10 things. Don't you see? I'm doing 10 things here at once. Don't you see? Right? Like mm -hmm. it's like this feeling of, I'm making breakfast, lunch, helping with the last minute homework, trying to put on my own makeup because I've got to get to, you know, work myself, like trying to get kids on the bus. And so there is a way and it changes the tempo of a family when we can say, I'm going to get up, get ready, put my makeup on, be dressed, and then I'm going to come down. Wow. Then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to assign so-and-so to do breakfast while I am doing lunch mm -hmm. because I know my kids can put, an English muffin in the toaster or the waffles in the toaster, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's part of it too, um, which is when I'm looking at the stress in a family, we have this mentality, we meaning our collective society in, in mostly North America, that says, I'll just do it. It's easier and faster. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Right. Like, oh, I'll just put the shoes on and tie the shoelaces instead of right. teaching them how to do it. Right. I'll just throw the waffles in because I don't even know they might burn them or I'll just do it. It'll be faster. Yeah. I'll unload the dishwasher because I can get those dishes and I can do it in five minutes. Mm -hmm. And while all of that is true at times, again, I take it out of my back pocket when I need to. When I need to, I'll go, you know what? Don't even worry about it. Get in the car. I'll finish cleaning up the kitchen real quick. Because I can probably do it in five minutes versus maybe the 10 minutes it might take the kids. But what I'm doing is I'm I'm doing so much harm. I'm robbing, first and foremost, I'm robbing the kids the opportunity to have that sense of competence that every child needs. Yeah. Yes. Right? They don't, they wouldn't say, oh yes, please, please, Mimi, I want to clean dirty dishes. Right. But they would say, yes, yes, I want to be competent. I want to know how to do things. I can do it on my own. I yes. do. Mm. Right. I do. Yeah. I do starts at two years old. I do. Yeah. 
And so it doesn't end the I do, right? We, we're, we're like that even as adults. That's why we don't accept help from people. Right. I don't know about it. Marjorie, do you need me to pick up the kids this afternoon? No. I got it. I'm good. I'm good. I'll figure it out. <laughs> right? I got it. I, I can do it. No, no. Well, why not? I, I'm literally, I'm going right past your house. I mean, no problem. Right? And we tend to feel bad. Oh, well, why would I let her take my kid home? Like, I, she's busy too. She's busy. I'm busy. We're all busy. And so I'm, I'm putting in a lot of different concepts into one so that people can see why this sounds really basic. Like, oh, yeah. So she came on and said that we're so busy. I want you to understand how it impacts relationships, yeah. how it impacts our stress level, how it impacts even, honestly, intimacy. I want human beings feel good when we help out, when we help others. It's almost selfish. We get more benefit. The research shows it every time. Me helping you drive your kids somewhere is actually more beneficial to me than it is to you, <laughs> right? And so you are robbing me of an opportunity if I say, um, what can I do to help you? Or, you know, how can I, what, what can I do this morning? Let me do it. Let, you know, take me up on it. Hello. So I would say that busy and that stress, the stress is, you know, we're at record stress levels. We are record mental health. We are in a mental health crisis. Mm. Um, stress is, is the, the root cause of the, the top three things, which are anxiety, depression, and PTSD, wow. stress, right? You have stress and unmitigated, unmanaged stress. We have stress every day of our lives. Every single one of us, it's a normal part of life. It's when we don't know how to manage it and contain it, ask for help, receive the help. When we think we can just handle it on our own, we get isolated, we get lonely, and we get disconnected from those who we desperately really want to be connected with. But if you're not living in truth and you're not connected with other people, there is a lack of integrity within that relationship that will be felt. And yeah. loneliness and isolation are at the root cause of that stress. And isn't it crazy that we as parents can live in a household with, you know, with loved ones all around us and feel isolated, stressed, depressed, and disconnected. It's like yeah. the, wow. it, the, the irony of it is just, it's just mind blowing and, and a little bit maddening, right? Yes. But because to be in connected relationship with somebody requires more than just physical proximity. Yes. Right. So to be in a real connected relationship with you, I need to be vulnerable. I need to be honest. I need to be engaged with you. I need to be present. I need to be able to not just tell you what's happening in my life, but also listen mm -hmm. to what's happening in your life. So if you think about what it takes to actually avoid loneliness, depression, and isolation, and when you break it down, you go, oh yeah, I can see how that would happen. Right. Because it takes a lot of little micro steps to be connected and feel like you are in relationship and in community yeah. because that's what the, you know, the opposite of being lonely would be. I'm connected. I feel I belong. I understand my purpose. I, I wake up every day with a sense of esteem. That's what burnout is. Burnout is you eventually feel you are no longer good at your job, whatever wow. your job is. Mm -hmm. It could be being a parent. It could be being the vice president of a company, no matter what your job is. It's the physical and emotional exhaustion that results from becoming cynical because you are no longer good at doing your job. That is the World Health Organization definition of burnout. And so you can be burning out or you can become lonely in a robust household filled with people because you're actually not feeling like, oh, I'm a good mom, I'm a good dad, I'm, I'm not a good partner, I'm not really listening. Yeah. I'm not even sharing with you what's happening. Like that costs us. That's a cost to us when we're not sharing with someone what's really happening for us. Yeah. And I think that, so what I love about what you're saying is the clarity there. You know, we really have this choice in our families to be distracted and stressed or connected. And, and there are tools to do it a totally different, better way. Right. And, and, you know, like what you're talking about here about, you know, removing this busy badge, allowing other people to help at times, uh, you know, being vulnerable and opening up. I mean, it does seem like work on the front end, but like most things, I think that there's a little bit of a societal lie that it's like, that's a lot of work and it's really hard. And how do I figure that out? And, I, you know, I'll just, 
I'll just do it on my own. And mm -hmm. the, the lie there is, is that that's a better way, right? Yeah. It's actually, it is actually in the beginning, it's a little more, we know this, it's a little more work to teach your child how to do the kitchen. But in the long run, it's not harder. It's a mm -hmm. lot easier as a matter of fact, you know, because yeah. the connection, the love and the self-esteem and all the things there. Mm -hmm. So it's really powerful. I, and I, I wonder, you know, if you're a, if you're a stressed, distracted, disengaged, busy parent, um, you, you know, what's sort of the, what's a, what's an initial high leverage step that they can take to start to escape that downward spiral? Cause I think it is a downward spiral because like you said, it's like the stress leads to PTSD, anxiety, depression, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so it's not just, it's not just unmanaged stress. It's like a funnel moving people down to the bottom of the swamp. <laughs> really. Absolutely. Well, one of the things is there's a lot to say, but yeah. when we take, when we stop normalizing the term, I'm so stressed. Like if you said to me, how are you? And I say, Oh my gosh, I am. I'm so stressed out. There's a very good chance that you'll say back to me. Yeah, me too. Right. right. We've now had this normalizing. Oh, I'm yeah. stressed and you're stressed. And when I do certain presentations, I, I talk to companies actually around the world because now people care about the mental health of their employees, which is, <laughs> you know, new. And so I I'm very fortunate that I get to do that. I say what we're both normalizing when we have that exchange of I'm so stressed and you're so stressed. See you later. Have a good day. Right. Yeah. What we're normalizing is. Um, I have a higher chance for having a heart attack and stroke. I have um, hypertension. I am um, more likely to get cancer, chronic disease. Like what if instead of saying, I'm so stressed, I said to you, well, I, you know, I have hypertension right now and, you know, I have a greater <laughs> likelihood of developing diabetes, right? Wouldn't you have such a different reaction? Well, I'd be like, wow, you're, you're like, you wouldn't want to agree wow. with it. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. You wouldn't say, you oh, that's, that's Me great. Me too. I, I'm right on the cusp of depression and a heart attack too. Yes. <laughs> like, great. Okay, well, have a good rest of your day. Right. right? Exactly. Right. <laughs> right. So if we can oh, just stop and realize what we're saying, Right now, I don't mean you have a stressful morning and that happens once a week. That's different. I'm talking about chronic stress, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I am chronically stressed. When I am chronically stressed, I truly have a greater likelihood of reducing my lifespan of having hypertension, stroke, heart disease, and diabetes. That's just straight off the bat. Yeah. That's just, that's not deep science. That's just, we know that that's medical, mental and physical history um health coming together we yeah. know that so a we need to start it like we talk a lot about destigmatizing mental health i think it starts as simple as just let's stop accepting that we are saying things that are bad for our health <laughs> you know if you said well what are you doing about that stress and i said oh i'm smoking a pack of cigarettes a day you wouldn't say well that sounds like a good idea <laughs> right like right like wow right. good therapy nice job right, right. No, right you would just be like well i wonder if there's something else you could be doing <laughs> right and so i do think that the normalization of stress is a real problem in our society yeah. we just have normalized we have normalized burnout we have normalized stress we have normalized hospital fantasies that came up when i was you know my i did a tedx talk why moms are miserable and that I put that in there. There are actually tens of thousands of women today, right now, that have a hospital fantasy that says, please God, let me get into a minor accident or maybe get COVID so bad or whatever that I have to go to the hospital because it's the only break I'll get. Oh no. Right? That is the hospital fantasy. Let me just get into just a couple days in the hospital. Nurses will take care of me and like nobody's gonna ask me to do anything and i don't even have to stand up because it's the dread the second i get home yeah. i feel because we do feel it physically you yeah. know you, you do feel the physical you feel muscle tension you feel these things and so we've normalized it too much and we've also we're also using pretty non we're using maladaptive coping skills as we would call it and that could be smoking cigarettes that could be drinking too much wine that can be scrolling on social media for hours right mm -hmm. right yeah. there are there are things that we are doing we're attempting 
to manage the stress, but we're doing it in really ineffective and unhealthy ways. Mm -hmm. So the number one way, as I did my research, and I didn't know in the very beginning, this was you know going on almost 10 years ago, but I didn't know in the beginning what the answer was going to be. But if I if I could tell you one thing that is the healthiest thing for you mentally and physically out of all the things you could be doing diet and exercise and all of the things it's social connection. Wow. It is unequivocally social connection. Wow. So they say there are studies that say that being lonely or socially disconnected is equivalent to smoking a half a pack of cigarettes a day or eating, I think it's like two double bacon cheeseburgers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they got to this, but right, like the strain on your heart, it also reduces your life by four years. Mm -hmm. There's such a strain on our heart and our physical and mental health when we are not socially connected. So wow. when I did the TEDx talk, why moms are miserable, the answer was because we get married, we have kids and we lose our friendships. We say, I'm too busy. Oh, Marjorie, I'd love to get together, but I'm too busy. Oh, I can't do coffee because I've got a meeting. And I've got a deadline I'm working on, mm -hmm. right? Or I've got to just go home and clean my messy house. And because we've gotten into this habit and we all accept it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I was busy. Yeah, yeah. I didn't ask. Yeah, yeah. We normalize right? it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We normalize it. And so, you know, there's other reasons as well. We are more transient. So people, because of opportunities, um, I say it's one of the unintended consequences of the women's movement is that we do have all these choices where we can go to school and where we can work. And because women, the way we are wired, we're like, oh, I'm going to do it all. I'm going to do that and raise a and family. It, yeah, uh -huh. um, we move around more now. So we don't yeah. plant down our roots. We don't have our extended families near us. We aren't raising kids with family or a village. We are doing it on our own. And we're outsourcing with nannies and au pairs. We're outsourcing the help that we naturally needed. That's why we were usually raising kids in tribes and in families. Right. Mm -hmm. So there are, there are many reasons. It's not just friendships. It's also family connections, just relationships in general. Yeah. Why so many people, and it's not just women. This is not just a woman's issue. Men as well feel disconnected. And we don't realize that that's adding to our sense of unhappiness or depression or loneliness or irritability or dissatisfaction with family life. Just yeah. General, just like, is this all? That's a, that's a comment I used to hear a lot. Is this all there is? Mm -hmm. You know, I've got the husband and I've got the kids. I'm really not happy. Is mm -hmm. this it? This is it, right. Yeah, is this it? Because this isn't as great as I thought it was going to be. And so I wanted to answer the question, why? Why wasn't it as great as women thought it was going to be? And it really... And not not it's not the only answer, but the the leading answer is our lack of social and emotional connection. Connection, yeah. Connection. Incredible mm -hmm. answer. Incredible study. And I um, I'm reminded I have a one of my clients is just had some astonishing success recently, and he's the number one influencer on LinkedIn now, and you know he's all this you know fame and social influence and all this stuff's happening in his life right and he said to me the other day he said he said you know my friends just stopped calling because i just told you know every time they talk to me it's like hey i'm too busy so they're afraid to even ask anymore can we go and hang out and you know go to dinner or spend time as couples or whatever he's like they just they just quit he's like and i don't know what to do about it and i'm like oh that's you have to fix this. <laughs> yes. Well, I got science to yeah, show it. I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to prove back it up. We do have the science. I mean, there's so that really you could show it to them, but in that's a, I just want to go with that example because there is a, there is a phenomenon that when somebody is successful or they've maybe achieved something, yeah. you really, you're, when you talk to people at the very top of their game, even including him and you ask them, so who, is your who's in your circle of trust? Yeah, those people don't usually have more than five people in that circle of trust. It the circle is small. Yeah, it's really small because so right. So maybe you're you're just like everybody else. Maybe you just graduated college, whatever. You're a young adult. Your circle's pretty big. You've got the neighbors, the college friends, the high school friends, the people you do a happy hour with after work. Like circle's pretty big. And then it get and then it funnels. You get married. Got smaller. Right now you've got. You, goes like this. And then once you start reaching the top of your game, 
people are lonely. That that's saying it's lonely at the top. Yes, mm -hmm. it is true, right? And and when you start looking from the outside, you go, oh, they have a career and they've got a, they've got their family, they've got young kids, they've they've got sports on the weekends, and you start on the outside, those people start going. So these are all the reasons why I can't reach out anymore. I can't be in relationship with you anymore because I don't have all that going on. I mean, I've got a little, but not all that. And so I do think that people are the more successful or the more they engage they are with their family lives. That's a measure of success as well. Sometimes the more their outer circle just goes away. Wow. And I think that for people who can do it well, their circles are still small, but they're tighter. Yeah. They're more intimate. And so that's, you know, I think like for that person, he should take inventory of who do I really do feel is missing? Like, yeah. who do I want to be in the small circle of influence? And then how do I strengthen those relationships? Mm, to me, that's key. That's mm. awesome. Well, Cheryl, this has been incredible. <laughs> like, I, uh, we've learned so much. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to try to twist your arm to have a redo here, uh, a round two, uh, because there's, there's a lot of stuff that you've unpacked and, and I can tell you've got a lot more. In fact, yeah, it's just incredible what you've shared. So thank you very, very much. And I, I wonder, I mean, you obviously have a lot of wisdom. So what's the best way for, you know, people who aren't familiar with your world to get inside there and to gain some of this and I know you've got a book and a course. What what do you think is the best way to jump into your world? What's the starting point? Yeah, I think you know if you if people go to my website, which is just drcherylziegler.com, there is where you can see my online course, um, "Mommy Burnout," my book. I'm working on a second book that I'm so excited about right now, which is really focused on middle childhood. It's a parenting book about you know, really just six to 12 year olds, wow. raising six to 12 year olds and um, setting them up for the teen years. So that's the intention of that book. Yeah. Um, I do a lot of media segments. Like you said, I was laughing in the beginning when you introduced me. I do at least three a week and they are basically how to talk to your kid about fill in the blank. Yeah. <laughs> so uh -huh. if you want a quick, you know, three to four minute, four at tops, so they're usually three, three and a half minutes of just you know, how to talk to a kid about war, how to talk to a kid about a mass shooting, how to talk to a kid about divorce, all these different things. Right. Um, my most recent one was just, you know, how to set up Thanksgiving to be positive and not focus <laughs> on negatives, whatever it might be. Um, that's all housed there. So, awesome. you know, I have some social media. I'm not huge on social media, but um, people can definitely just follow me and um, really get to see, I think, some of the work that I'm trying to put out in as many places as possible. So thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, Aww. we will send as many people as we can to your site and hopefully they'll gain you know, the value that we've got out of it today. So thank you very, very much. We really appreciate it. And um, I, I've just learned a ton. I've taken three pages of notes, so we really <laughs> appreciate it. So good. And um, we'll send, so for everyone listening to this, like, you know, Dr. Cheryl Ziegler, go to the site, check it out, get a hold of her a copy of her book and uh, look at the course there. I know the course is amazing and, and your course really focuses on an issue that's huge for so many people. And it's like mother daughter relationships and helping daughters through that critical period of their life from that six to 12, 13 year age, you know, space. So, um, invaluable resource there for, cause while well, we know we, we that, is a, that is a <laughs> yeah. tricky phase of life, you know, it's like, <laughs> Oh, by the way, a few things are about to change. <laughs> yeah. Just a few, like everything. Like everything. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So yeah. Right. Well, again, thank you so much thank for your you. time. We appreciate it very much. So. All right. Thank Bye. You. Thank you guys. Bye, Bye. now.